This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I am back in Chicago, having spent basically a week in Washington waiting for a new speaker to come in so that these new members of Congress could be sworn in. And I am back, and it finally happened early Saturday morning. We've got to talk about that special guest today, Congressman Jonathan Jackson. Cannot wait to hear from him in the second hour. And then we're going to be talking about what's happening, well, in Brazil, uh, what's happening in Washington, D.C. and all around the country with Dwight McKee. And uh, we want to talk about DeMar Hamlin. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, Devin. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, he doesn't make the money that you think he's making. You know, there was a story that came out that said, you know, that uh, the Buffalo Bills have settled with him and they're going to give him, you know, a chunk of money. No, 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 no. Did you know that NFL players are paid by the game? They have no guaranteed money at all. The only guarantee they have is the guaranteed money that's in their signing bonus. That's it. That's why injuries, that's why so many of them play hurt or, or, you know, limping and knowing that they're hurt. Because if they don't play, they don't get paid. So we've got to talk about that because while everyone is excited about this young man's, uh, the, the increase in his health, What about his financial health? Coming out of something so, uh, so horrifying, because we still don't know why he collapsed. We we don't know what this is. And no one, and we've not had a full discussion about it either. And I think that we should. Everything should be on the table, everybody. So, but that having been said, um, because, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And, but we do know this, and no, most of us don't know that they don't make much money at all, and they've got to be very, very careful. Outside of the season, many of our NFL players are living hand-to-mouth, and these big contracts that we see after you chop them up with the lawyers and the agents and da-da-da-da-da, they they don't have everything left. So we'll be talking with Attorney Shannon Holmes about that on the Santita Jackson Show. But, of course, we've got good news with... Pamela Morris Walton, our gospel sister, and Dr. Shanina Knighton talking to us about our health. So let's get right to it, everybody. Let's get to the Santita Jackson Show. Let me know what you thought about Friday night, Saturday morning. Now we finally have a Speaker of the House. Let me know what you th- what you think about that. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, of course. Uh, This is WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, 773-763-9278. And who can forget my brothers and sisters up at AM 950 Radio in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm talking to you, Matt, and all of my friends up there, Reverend McAfee and Spike and Gary Hines, of course, and of course, our feckless leader, Chad Larson at AM 950 Radio. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 40 degrees today, mostly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 34 degrees, cloudy. In the NFL, the Vikings and the Bears faced off. The Vikings 29, the Bears 13. The Vikings are 13 and 4. They're moving forward. The Bears 3 and 14. 
Well, maybe next year, everybody. And, of course, the Bills were triumphant in a stunning victory over the Patriots, 35-23. to So much symmetry with the number three, sending all of them so much love. Dedicating the show today to one of our childhood beloveds, Adam Rich. Uh, of, of eight is enough, Fit just 54 years of age. He was found dead in his home. Wow. No one knows the cause of death. That's a lot of that's happening. And we just, I just don't know. It's just a really, really interesting world, everybody. The Timberwolves, 104. The Rockets, 96. And the Bulls will be playing the Celtics tonight. And in the NHL, the Chicago team, four. Waiting for them to change that name. The Flames, three. The Blues 3 and the Wild nothing. They were shut out everybody. Just two years after the Capitol riot, supporters of Brazil's defeated president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who's in Florida, by the way, stormed the country's Congress, Supreme Court, and Presidential Palace, their White House, everybody. President Biden visited the Mexican border for the first time since taking office, and Russia and Ukraine couldn't agree whether the number of troops killed in a missile attack was 600 or zero. That's pretty much it, everybody. Some people are saying that Kevin McCarthy sold his soul to finally be elected speaker, but he did get 216 votes. It was in their fight on the floor. Can't wait to ask Congressman Jackson about that. It happened just over his shoulder. Um, and what about these concessions that McCarthy made to the so-called fringe members of the House um, in exchange for their support? Hmm. Is that an accurate description? Well, we'll be talking about that with Congressman Jackson and with you. I want to know what your thoughts are about all of this, everybody. Call me at 773 773-763-9278, 773-763- WCPT. In the meantime, I've got the beautiful Pam Morris Walton, our gospel sister. She's a legend in the radio world and um, in our church world. I'm always so honored to have her with us. I'm so glad that she uh, is part of the show. And so it's a joy to be with you, the author of 57 Days, Wait for a New Heart. Wait for a New Heart. Yes, she is a transplant, a heart transplant recipient. You never know it. And that's something that we have to talk about because so many people, particularly in the African-American community, have so many, so many misgivings about transplants. And so um, and she's a leading light. But when you see her, boy, oh, boy, thank God for this life saving surgery and thank God for the heart that was given to you. My love to you. What is the good news today? Thank you so very much, Santita. Thank you so very much. The the news today on this day, uh, let me see here. Yesterday was January the 8th, eight days. So this is the night. We are nine days in a brand new year. And there is so much to learn during this journey of a lifetime. And that God has brought us all to another year. 2023. And what I want to tell you today is to be inspired. In this new year, if it didn't happen for you last year, this year, every day of your life, nine days in, everybody, the top of it, be inspired. Don't be discouraged. Don't get encouraged, discouraged. Easily by nothing, not anything. Life's trials, life's tribulations, don't get discouraged. 
be inspired. Just open your eyes, open your heart, open those ears of yours, open your mind, and be inspired. And when you do that, when you get inspired, you will hear positive messages. You will hear them, especially in music. Let me tell you something about music. Music is a blessing. Music is inspiring. Music is inspirational. The laughter of a child can be the same. It can inspire you. You can be inspired by so many who have turned their obstacles into opportunities. Listen to good stories, everybody. Listen to your elders. Take a moment. Take a moment. Call one. Visit one. And be inspired. Listen to the stories of your elders. And don't give up hope. In this year, then everybody, don't get discouraged and don't give up your hope. Be inspired by authors. I'm one. Read my book. You've heard Tantita speak about it. It will inspire you and others. Let me say this to you. Be inspired by crossing guards. Have you ever drove down the street, a crossing guard stepped out in front of you, and you had to stop? Because she was in that neighborhood serving children. With joy. When she put the little sign up. You can't do anything but stop and just look. Be inspired by that. Be inspired by the educators who continue to teach under and in stressful conditions. Be inspired by volunteers. We've had a lot of them. Be inspired by what they do. Be inspired by artists. Have you ever seen, have you ever stopped somewhere and saw an artist painting? I was watching television not recent, uh, not that long ago. It was recent. And I watched this artist who started out with paintings going a few thousand dollars. And now he just recently sold one for one million. I was inspired by watching that. Be inspired by those who got up when you were told, when they were told to sit down. They were told to sit down. Got up. Be inspired by those who are told that they would not become anything them today. Be inspired by Congressman Jonathan Jackson. That gentleman. Inspired by the visionaries who didn't settle for just the ordinary. Another step. Inspiration is all around you. It's all around you. It's in you. And inspiration is for you. And it's up to you to inhale and exhale. So breathe in all that positive energy. Do that for me and enrich your life in 2023. Just let's go another step up, everybody, and be inspired. You promised me you will? Be inspired. Thank you, Santita. Thank you. Thank you for that. And the inspiration is all around us, everybody. It's all around us. It's all around us. It's all around us. Keep on going. Never stop. I heard Reverend Dr. Sam Proctor say that. 
keep on going, never stop. Winston Churchill's have never, 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 never give up. Be inspired, everybody. Take in the spirit and exhale it on the rest of the world. Of course, everybody, get the wonderful book by Pam Morris, 57 Days, Wait for a New Heart. Wait for a new heart. You know what? Let me ask uh, Dr. Shanina Knighton about this because we're so excited that this brilliant registered nurse, college lecturer, professor, and um an infection preventionist didn't even know such an ex- such a profession existed, and of course, dedicating the show in a very special way to Pastor James and First Lady Jamel Meeks. After 40 years of service, he went into retirement. I know he's not going to stop serving, but boy, pastoring is hard work, and so is being a First Lady. So I want to send them all of my love. Today, The only reason I wasn't there yesterday was because I was working. Oh, my gosh. But my father was there, and it was a glorious celebration of this magnificent pastor and his magnificent first lady and their beautiful family. They are just a great, great family. Uh, much love to you, Salem, today. Uh, Shanina Knighton, coming into 2023, um, it's like four years out of this pandemic. It's hard to believe that this is where we are. Help us to do, help us to fix our minds on on where we need to be in terms of thinking about our health. Just overall, overall, where where should where should we be? I mean, are we still in a pandemic? Do we still need to mask up? You said be the CEO of our own health. What does that mean? Good morning. So for one, it really means. And I'm just going to go back to something you just said, looking at the duration of time. So we're too busy focused on what should be changing versus what we're changing, meaning that we're looking for something to end, meaning when is the pandemic going to be over? When is this germ going to stop? When is this germ going to go away? When will this get better? When will we have a cure? When will this be fixed? And the problem is, is sometimes when the things around us cannot be fixed, we need to fix things ourselves and fix things within ourselves. Specifically meaning we may not be able to change, let's say, the evolution of these coronavirus strains and how fast they're moving. We can't change, let's say, flu. But the thing is, is when we start to change ourselves, then we start to change the things that are around us. So how I point out before, hand washing, hand hygiene with the use of hand sanitizer, being able to clean your hands accurately is not something that is just COVID specific. It is something that is universally going to protect you because hand hygiene is the single most important way to prevent the spread of germs. So once we begin to adopt the mindset, that being the CEO of our health requires that we take our hand hygiene practices more serious and that we pay attention to how we are cleaning our hands and how correct we are cleaning our hands, understanding that will make a world of difference. Secondly, when we think about our being the CEO of our health also means being the CEO of what is around us, what is You know, what are we consuming? What are we breathing? What are we absorbing? It's all of the different ways for which our body will come in contact with things around us. 
So again, when we're speaking about environment, you can touch something and then touch your face, which means that you might ingest germs. You might be around someone that's within close contact and they might be breathing and you know that they're in too much of a close space and they cough and their droplets come in contact with, with you. It might not necessarily be inhaling, but, but if again, it is in the air of the droplet and it comes in contact with your eyes, mouth, and nose. Maybe it is absorbed in, right? So we don't think about these things in this manner when we're saying be the CEO of our own health. It's being responsible for the things that we cannot change, which means how do you set your own self up, your own armor up to make sure that you are protecting yourself? That means that just as I pointed out, while hand hygiene is important, distancing is important, is also to recognize what are you putting in your body that should your body come in contact with any of these germs, it's going to say my immune system is boosted. We know that there are anti-inflammatory, which means that there are things that are against the inflammation of the body. Inflammation of the body makes the body sick, but if you use anti-inflammatory foods, which means that those are your green leafy vegetables, which are high in antioxidants. That means they're high in things that would go against the toxins, right, in your body. Um, that means if we're talking about ginger, if we're talking about garlic, if we're talking about consuming things that are going to build our immune system up, if you look up things that cause harm to the body or harm to the immune system, that's where you're going to find your food colorings. You're going to find your high fructose corn syrup. You're going to find your sweeteners in your food. And what you have to ask yourself is what I'm putting in my body, is that making me a responsible CEO or an irresponsible CEO to my health? And if you know that you are going to consume those negative things, what should you be thinking about consuming in order to be able to offset maybe potentially the harm or damage that is being done? The body does not lie. We're made of chemicals, and it cannot cheat itself. When, what you're putting in your body, just understand that those chemicals in your body are still going to process the same way. You're still going to have that same chemical reaction because this is chemistry 101, right? We have to ask ourselves, how do we cheat ourselves as the CEO? We have to be more conscious about our decisions, understand that there is no way for us to cheat our health, and it is our most valuable possession that we have. Hey, Dr. Nina, everybody, that is her handle in social media. H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A at Hey Dr. Nina. You don't want to miss that. The body does not lie. What about taking these anti-inflammatory, not medicines, but green leafy vegetables? What about garlic? What about ginger? What about that? You know, we need to revisit that because so many of us have issues of inflammation, including myself. Dr. Knighton, and that's something that I'm really, really working on going forward. Um, but everybody, we can work on it. We can do that. As, as with all of the debate about uh, the shots that we were taking to uh, 
first we were told it would prevent COVID, and then we found out that it would mitigate COVID. That having been said, Dr. Knighton said, look, you guys, the meats that you eat are heavily vaccinated. Mm, the animals. Yeah. And then guess what? Um, you know, we have all kinds of chemicals all over our vegetables. So think about that, everybody. Think about that. That's why everybody's an environmentalist. Everyone. Coming up, let's talk about De- Damar Hamlin and the money that he does not have. Someone called into Reverend Jackson's Keep Hope Live show yesterday and said, well, I can't feel sorry for someone who makes $825,000 a year and needs to handle his money. No, you really need to know how the system is structured. Because uh, by the time you chop it up, and most of these NFL players, they're not, they're, they are paid by the game, everybody. Just by the game. That's it. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Let us talk about DeMar Hamlin. Of course, we will have Congressman Jonathan Jackson on very shortly to uh, in the next hour to talk about what happened in Washington. But we also need to connect it to what happened in Washington to two years ago. Yesterday, uh, you had um, a you had the insurrection at the Capitol uh, in Washington, but you had it in in Brazil yesterday. And uh, I want to know what you think about all of this. There's a lot going on. We'll be right back up on Facebook and on the YouTube channel in just a minute. That's right. Here we are. We should be back, like, shortly. All right. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're going we're gonna to be right back here. But I just wanted to ask, you know, really what is going on with the money? We had a caller, Attorney Shannon Holmes, brilliant sports attorney, and he has a book that is coming out, everybody, tomorrow, Chief Executive Athlete. Wow. Chief Executive Athlete. We had Dr. Shanina Knight, an infection preventionist, registered nurse, college professor, uh, director of uh, the uh, APIC Center for IPC Research. It's the largest gathering of infection control, of infection preventionists and epidemiologists in the world. She's always said that we need to become the CEOs of our health. He's saying athletes and everybody who's in business, but let's look at these athletes because their profiles are so high. They need to become the chief executives of their lives. This $825,000 that uh, that he was to make this season, Mr. Hamlin, is not a lot of money. And many of us don't know exactly how we think that these athletes are paid these just goo gobs of money. No, 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 no. They got to play in order to be paid. So I'm going to let you take it away, uh, Attorney uh, Shannon Holmes, because you sent me an article that you said was misleading about, you know, the Buffalo Bills settling with uh, Mr. Hamlin while they're crying over him. And, oh, my goodness, we hope he's going to be OK, because there's a lot of speculation about why he had this heart attack. And it's just a lot of it. And some people calling it conspiracy theories. But w- whatever it was, if it was a congenital defect that went undetected in all of these years that he has been in high level sports, that's a miss. 
And I think that we are we are doing we are doing explanation about what happened to him so that this doesn't happen again. But let's talk about this money. And the yes, help good morning. The, the help that he might need forever and ever and ever. So talk to me. How are these people paid? And what and what was this article that you sent me? Yes, good morning. So, you know, I think the thing that that's been highlighted in this obviously is Mr. Hamlin's injury, but further is just the fate and state of professional football players, particularly in regards to their contracts and how their contracts work. Mr. Hamlin had uh, was drafted in 2021 as a six-round draft pick in the NFL. Uh, I think uh, hopefully everyone realizes that the NFL uses a draft system. It's about, I think it's eight rounds now, maybe more, maybe 10. I can't remember. They've changed it. And he was drafted in the sixth round in 2021, and he negotiated a four-year contract with the Buffalo Bills, four-year, $3.64 million deal. I think last year he's paid about 660000 for his first year. This year he was scheduled to make about 825000 And then the year 23 and 24 have contract values as well. In addition to that, he agreed to $160,000 guaranteed money. And I want to focus on that. That's the only part of his contract that he's guaranteed to receive, his signing bonus of $160,000. So yesterday... So so what happens to the rest of the money? So what happens is he earned, last year in 2021, he was on the active 53-man roster, so he earned the $660,000. And this year, he was on the active roster, obviously, because we saw him get injured while playing, so he earned 825000 Let's put an asterisk there, Santita. This weekend was the last game of the season, okay? And when you go on what's called injured reserve, meaning you can't play because you're injured, but the team's kind of protecting you because you got injured while playing, you agree you have, you, you have now put yourself in a situation where you get less than your full contract value. So instead of receiving his full pay for week 17, he was supposed to receive a reduced amount for week 17 per his NFL contract. Okay? The NFL put out a statement. No, no, that's not okay. You need to explain that. (laughs) So, So you're telling me when you're injured, you don't get your full pay. Correct. Correct. This thing is a week-by-week, game-by-game situation. Let me give you another scenario, and we can circle back to that really quickly. If, for instance, Santita, a player makes the team, and he's on the team for five weeks, and he has a $1 million contract. He's on the team, he plays for five weeks, and then at week six, right before week six, the team says, oh, we don't really like you anymore, we're going to let you go. His contract is over. He does not receive the remaining portion of that million dollars. He's out of work. Done. Over. And so I think the point here is that oftentimes we think that when we hear this number, for instance, DeMar Hamlin, four-year, four $3.64 million, we think, hooray, this guy's got $3.6 million coming to him. In fact, that is not. That's the farthest thing from the, from the truth. That's why it's so imperative in NFL particularly that guys negotiate and you hear about it in the media when these guys are doing their deals that they're trying to get as much 
upfront guaranteed money as possible and pushing the teams to give them guaranteed money because everyone else in that team on that in that player's camp realizes that that's the only guaranteed money that player is entitled to. And so I'd like to focus on the article I sent you yesterday, which said that Mr. Hamlin, it said the Bills have worked out an agreement with the NFL and NFLPA, which is a union that represents the players, to pay DeMar Hamlin his full contract despite being placed on IR. Again, they said the Bills have worked out an agreement with the NFL and NFLPA to pay DeMar Hamlin his full contract despite being placed on injured reserve. That is a very deceptive statement, Santita, because they have not agreed to pay him his quote-unquote four-year, full $3.64 million contract value. They simply agreed to pay him his full value for this remaining week, which he'll get paid on this coming Tuesday, his last check that he's legally contracted to receive this coming Tuesday, tomorrow, he'll get his full check instead of the reduced amount for being placed on injured reserve. So what does that mean? And because, and, you know, all of this is so shocking, so shocking, because when we see these guys, an injury is their enemy. And they're not even yes. given the space. So you can understand the drug use, the steroid use. I've got to be well to play. No, 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 no. These yes. folks have to get paid. And and yes. then, wait a minute, hold on. You revealed something yesterday on Keep Up Alive with Reverend Jesse Jackson that was stunning, that if they don't perform up to the, to the standards set forth by management and owners, this $100 million contract that they can get can be nullified. That is to say, they can get far less money, right? Yes, yes, they Explain can. Their that. contracts, their <laughs> contracts can be terminated at any time, and 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 if you have a four-year, five-year, six-year deal, you know, sometimes in the media that they'll publish, hey, this guy's six million, two hundred million dollar deal. Well, those of us with a keen eye will then dig a little deeper to look at how much of that contract is guaranteed money. Because really and truly, that is the only money we know that particular player will be able to get no matter what. Because unfortunately, we see where a guy will get a deal of six years, $200 million, and then unfortunately, for whatever reason, he's not a good fit at that team. He just has some other issues. He doesn't perform well. Various reasons. And the team says, you know, we're just not working out here. And they just release the guy. Mm-hmm. When they release the guy, he is not entitled to any further compensation from that team other than the guaranteed money that he was initially uh, entitled to. And oftentimes, the guys don't get the guaranteed money upon signing their name. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they defer that money over the course of the contract. So, again, in the instance of a six-year, $100 million deal, and the guy was going to get $50 million guaranteed, he may break that up, $50 million up over six years. So every August, he gets a portion of that. But the important thing is, no matter what, and no matter what he's agreed to, he will get that $50 million that he's guaranteed. You know, I was reading an article from PennLive.com, 
And they said, quote, there's often little protection for players, especially young players drafted late, tucked away in the language of those NFL contracts. And that was the case for Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin. The Bills placed Hamlin on injured reserve earlier this week following the cardiac arrest he suffered in Monday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He has a four-year, $3.64 million contract, and there's reportedly language in there that would allow the Bills to pay him at a lower rate if he is placed on injured reserve. This is confirming everything that you just said. But the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported Sunday that won't happen. Rappaport said that Hamlin's contract contained a, quote, split clause, close quote, which would allow the team to pay him 455000 instead of the 825000 for the season. It would have obligated to pay him if he were active. That would have meant slashing his salary this week by more than $20,000. But Rappaport said the team, league office, and union worked together to ensure that Hamlin would receive his full salary. But you're saying to me that when these players are injured, I mean, are they paid at all? I mean, how does this work? This is insane. I mean, does this work the same way in baseball and in basketball and in hockey? Well, let's talk about Hamlin real quick. So, again, I want to point out what what you were saying is that the the language they use, it seems as if they're paying the full contract value. But the $450,000 is the prorated amount he's to receive or the reduced amount he's received if he's placed on injured reserve. To make this a little bit more easy for the audience to grasp, Let's assume he would have gotten hurt in week five and placed on injured reserve. So then if they put him under that injured reserve clause, his salary is reduced from the 825 to the 455. So he continues to get paid every Tuesday, but it's at that reduced amount. And as you noted, that's about $20,000 less than he would normally receive. And so that's the thing with this particular clause. The interesting thing for this particular situation was that it's the last week of the season. And in my humble opinion, that played a role. My other thought is that because of the the tragedy that this guy suffered in front of the world's eyes and all of the public discussion, I think they came to an agreement to pay him his full value for this week. But I want to be clear that is not that does not include the remaining two years of his contract. They have not even negotiated or discussed that in in any way. And to be further clear, he is not entitled to that legally. It's just a matter of whether or not the team and the team owner decide out of the goodness of their heart to provide him any additional compensation um, that he could have earned by playing football. And in relation to basketball, baseball, their unions are seem to be the strongest of the four major sports when we talk about hockey, football, basketball, baseball in the United States. And those players' contracts are guaranteed. And so that's why when we see one of the basketball players and this, they get just going on with the team, the team is just going on with the player, the player is kind of smirking, thinking, well, you may not like me, you may not like my antics, you may not like the way I'm doing things. But ultimately, I have a guaranteed contract, so you're going to have to pay me, um, especially if I haven't done anything to violate any of my contract provisions. You just, for some reason, don't like either how I'm playing or how I'm conducting myself in other areas of my life that have nothing to do with my play. But ultimately, you're still going to have to pay me the contract and money we agreed to. And, and since you don't want to say this, too, and I, I think you can appreciate this. I was talking to one of my clients last night, and we were talking about this situation 
And he's a former NFL player. He's played about 10 years and has done extremely well for himself financially. But he says, Shannon, I want you to be clear about one thing. The other thing you need to be clear about and we need to highlight, particularly in our communities, is that the African-American players, one other reason that their income is so such an issue is because not only are they looking to take care of themselves, many of them are obligated and feel obligated to take care of their families. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about a million dollars, for instance, after taxes, federal taxes, in many cases, state taxes, and after paying their agent and other expenses for training and dietary, et cetera, and they're at the same time trying to get mama and grandmother out of some very dire situations. Mm -hmm. And what he shared with me is that he had conversations in the locker room over his 10-year career where the white players were gasping at the fact that the black players were sending money home, buying mom and dad vehicles, buying mom and dad houses, and he said the white players were just in awe because they had no idea of those types of things because they didn't have to do that. And so it, it, it puts a bigger burden on the athletes from our community Absolutely. who feel compelled and, and I get it, you know, to get their families out of some of the situations that they're in. Well, anybody who makes money, if you go to college, if you go to graduate school, um, if you get out from under uh, our general, our generational wealth is not what it ought to be because we're trying to pull everybody else up. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. I think that, you know, you you should try and help your family as much as you can. Oh, absolutely. That having been said, but when you look at Tulsa, when you look at Rosewood, we just had the 100th anniversary of that yesterday. The multi-generational wealth that has been stolen from black and indigenous people in this country. This is where you see it. This is where you feel it. These are people whose grandparents and great-grandparents owned land that was taken from them. 100 years ago, black people owned 19 million acres in this country. Now we're under 2 million acres. The, yes. As Scarlett O'Hara's father said in The Irish Immigrant, uh, the, former, uh, the former subject of the crown, as he said in Gone with the Wind, remember, Scarlett, the land is the only thing that matters. He understood it because as an Irishman, he couldn't own it. He couldn't own land. Right. right. You know, we have to get clear on the subtext to all of this. That's why I wanted you to be here today. And you knew and you know that and we're going to continue to to talk about this issue because Linear Bob said, hey, exclamation point. <laughs> this is close to sharecropping. <laughs> oh, now, right. Reverend Reverend Leon J. Wright wants to know, does, do the players know this as they are signing the contracts? Do they know all of the ins and outs of the contract? And, what, oh, and let, man, me, let I, me add so, to that, what role does the union play in this? No, I so appreciate that question. That's a great question because the, the, the answer in one hand is yes, but also no. You say, well, how can that be the case? Well, the union has negotiated, the, the NFL has standard contracts. There's no, every player doesn't get a different contract negotiated by his or her representative. There's a standard document that all the players sign. Now, of course, the numbers are different. And some of the incentives that, that provide compensation are different because you can negotiate that in. How many touchdowns you score, how many yards you get, how many sacks you get, how many plays you play. Those things are negotiable per that player's individual terms, but the language in every contract, the clauses in every contract 
are all the same. However, the reason I say no to that is that, yes, the agent knows what's there. The players, I don't know if the players know because they rely on their agents so heavily. Um, and that's why I compel athletes to make sure that not only they have an agent, and some of the agents aren't lawyers. So that becomes a whole other issue. But I compel the players to be sure that they have proper legal representation to review any and everything they sign and to explain to them all the provisions of the contract that they're signing. And one of the reasons is because you need to understand, one, how you're going to be compensated, but two, what happens in this instance if you're injured, but three, what other protections can you put around you to ensure that you kind of fill in the gaps? So in this instance where DeMar Hamlin is injured, placed on injured reserve, receiving a reduced salary, what if he can't play anymore? Yeah. What, could he, what could he have done to help fill in some compensation for himself going forward? Well, Mr. Hamlin could have potentially bought a third party, meaning outside of the league, disability plan that, that he pays a pretty hefty premium for. But in the event of this type of injury, he would then be entitled to a large lump sum compensation. And in his case, with a $3.6 million contract, he probably would have qualified for somewhere around a $6 million to $8 million disability policy. Well, you know and, what I want and, you to uh, I mean, because we, we don't think about these disability policies, but this, this, uh, this just came up, and I, uh, Thomas, thank you for, uh, for sending, giving us your comment. I disagree with it fulsomely, but um, cause, because we tend to, um, let me just say this as I read this to you, uh, Attorney Holmes. We say, you know, we diminish the gifts that God gives us when they're artistic and athletic in particular. Um, everybody can sing. That's not true. Well, he's just an athlete. She's just an athlete. <laughs> Most of us don't want to walk up a flight of stairs, let alone play through pain and exhaustion. No one, most of us don't don't have the discipline or don't want to employ the discipline, the extraordinary discipline it takes to become the best at what you do, whatever it is. He said, DeMar Hamlin should try working a real job. (laughs) Why are we wasting time on our progressive station talking about a fool who chose to play a brutal game? The only reason people like football is so they can watch real violence instead of watching the fake violence on TV shows. Could we talk about something more important like the assault weapons ban? I mean, the fact that you do not understand that this is about workers' rights. We all want to see the football. We want to see him. And if you don't see you and DeMar Hamlin, you're missing something really big, attorney Shannon Holmes. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's his individual viewpoint. Maybe he has a disdain for football, but ultimately this still comes down to, you know, labor rights, employment rights, and, and, and it can, it's football now, but it could be any other career as well, right, that we're discussing in terms of if you're working in this particular area, what are some of the protections that you are afforded? And how are your salary and compensation structured? And, you know, um, th- this is just another part of it. You know, these guys, you know, put themselves out there and, 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 and it's part of capitalism, right? I always say the owners, you know, it's their business. They have a right to kind of negotiate the terms that they see fit for their business. I think the labor force, as we always know in this country, has to decide on what they'll accept. And kind of put put us put their foot in the ground and decide what terms they're going to accept and what terms they're not going to accept. And I think this is going to certainly shed light on 
the collective bargaining agreement negotiations that the NFL players will enter into in the next couple of years whenever their current contract uh, is coming up for renewal. And they're definitely going to have to address some of these, you know, health policies, disability policies, and, and payment when they're, when guys are injured. Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, you have a book that's coming out tomorrow, um, Chief Executive Athlete. I've got one minute. What is that about? Yeah, so Chief Executive Athlete, how to run your sports career like a Fortune 500 company. And again, we're just, I'm just compelling through books to the, to the players, and there's a section for coaches that talks about, hey, you've got to take your career um, by, the, by the horn, if you will, and be a chief executive. You need to mirror the success of companies that you want to be like, companies that have been successful, businesses that have been successful. You're not just a player running up and down the field or the court. You're, an, you're, you're a business person providing a service to another business. So how does that look? What do you need? You need general counsel. So you need to have legal protection. You need someone handling your finances, someone handling your taxes. You may need a PR person. You may need someone handling your digital media presence. But you need to look and feel and operate like a business. And further to that, I asked the guys to think about it in the manner of, would you make that decision on a Thursday night or Friday night? that you would make as a player, would you make that same decision as chief executive of a big company? And knowing what that impact will look like for the company if something happens or if you engage in some activity that is not positively reflected on the company, would you still make that decision? And when you think of it, and when they think of it as in those terms and as a chief executive of their own company where they're establishing a brand and creating income streams off the field and off the court, that could eventually pay them long after their playing days are over. They start to rethink some of the decisions they're making and refocus on the service that they're providing and helping them to extend their careers way past the time they're on the field or the court. Pick up the book, Chief Executive Athlete. Everybody, hey, some people have said, you know, I don't know why we're talking about this today. The way I talked about the railway rail, railway strikes that we were that we're still facing. They still do not do not have paid sick leave. These are workers' rights. And just because these people are on television and have a little bit of shine, don't be fooled. These are workers' rights, workers' rights. That's why we're talking about this. Most of us don't know that if they don't play, they don't get paid. And that they can be taken in arbitrarily because of something that the owner does or does not like. And they can decide not to pay them what they what this what the contract said that they would pay them that's what it comes down to one of my dear friends who was a pro football player said honey the best players are not on the field not necessarily attorney shannon holmes everybody get the book chief executive athlete coming up let's talk about what happened in washington this week call me at 773-763-9278 on the santita jackson show This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Monday, January 9th, 2022. I'm coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, January 26th. 
WCPT will be having a huge mayoral debate. Joe Nesposito, Patty Vasquez, and I will be moderating that debate with all the candidates. Well, at least most of them have said yes thus far. So it is a great, 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 great thing. It's going to be played on all of our platforms, and I want to talk with you about that. I want you to send me uh, the questions that you'd like to have asked, or at least the issues that you want to have these candidates address. So please go to the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel or the Santita Jackson and Friends page and send me a direct message. I want to know. What you, what you want me to ask? Let me know. Let me know. And I'll pass the questions along to Joan Esposito as well as Patty Vesquez. We're there for you. Everybody, January 26th. It's going to be very, very, very exciting. Uh, let's talk about what happened in Washington. Finally, Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House. What did he trade away? What is this going to look like? It's a razor-thin margin that the Republicans have. How will this look? Is it as bad as we think it might be, or could it be better than we could even imagine? Let's talk about it at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Let's get to some of these headlines. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 40 degrees. It will be mostly cloudy. Minneapolis-St. Paul, 34 degrees. It will be cloudy in the NFL. The Vikings, 29. The Bears, 13. The Vikings are moving on. 13-4 and four was their record this year. The Bears, well, next year. 3-14 and 14 was their record. Um, and uh, the Bills, 35. The Patriots, 23. Get winning one for Mr. Hamlin. Indeed, there was so much symmetry with the number three. You cannot make this up. And, of course, DeMar Hamlin was watching and cheering his team on. In the NBA, the Timberwolves, 104. The Rockets, 96. And the Bulls will be playing the Celtics tonight in the NHL. Chicago, 4. The Flames, 3. Got to change that name. Chicago, the Blues, 3. And the Wild, nothing. Some of the quick headlines. Just two years, two years to the day after. Um, well, almost two years to the day after the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol here in the United States. We saw the same thing happen. Same thing happened in Brazil. It's just they took over the country's Congress, the Supreme Court, and the presidential palace, their White House. That's right. President Biden is visiting the Mexican border for the first time since taking office. Russia and Ukraine could not agree on whether the number of troops killed in a missile attack was 600 or zero. Those are just some of the headlines as we await more details from Prince Harry's tell-all memoir. Uh, some people saying this could be the beginning of the end of the monarchy. Perhaps we'll talk about that tomorrow. Don't think it's the beginning of the end, but I think things will change. It lets you know he did not believe the official story about his mother's death. And that is big, 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 biggity big. All right, everybody. Let's talk about what happened in Washington last week. We waited and we waited uh, attorney Aaron Connolly and I, we waited, we waited, we waited. Uh, Dwight McKee, we waited and waited and waited. Day one, day two, day three, day four, um, ballot one, two, three, four, 15 ballots. Unbelievable. But you know what? Kevin McCarthy said, look, I get things done. And he did get it done. But what did he get done? And what were we watching Really, We've got to talk about that, of course. Can't wait to get some analysis from you, Dwight McKee. But let me start off with you, Attorney Erin Connolly. What did you see? Because we were right there. And it was um, kind of surreal, kind of. <laughs> it, it was surreal. And, um, you know, I 
thank you, Santita, for having me on this morning. Good morning to panelists and the morning stars listening in today. It's great to be back with you after an eventful week in Washington. And um, I want to say an official congratulations to the freshman um, congressmen and women who were, were finally sworn in at around two in the morning <laughs> after a very long week of voting over and over uh, on the Democratic side anyway for uh, leader Hakeem Jeffries. Um, and that that was my big, big takeaway. You know, whatever chaos ensued, and we knew walking into that week that it wasn't going to be an easy one. We expected some history to be made and, you know, probably some delay. But what we saw was was beyond that. <laughs> and uh, 15 votes later, um, with many dangerous concessions that put our people's house and in many ways our, our democracy at great risk, not not just for chaos, but um, for complete inaction. And my my big fear coming out of this, and we'll see what, what rules package is, is, is approved by the House, um, is that the provisions that this, this quote-unquote freedom caucus, which, you know, is really difficult <laughs> to say, um, but um, what, what those rules are going to mean for, for even having reasonable debate in the House, for um, making sure that the leadership that was ultimately elected stays, <laughs> stays elected and is able to um, move the House forward on, on important business. And the more dangerous thing is, is the priorities um, that this small minority of, of I believe, you know, dangerous folks in many ways. We see a couple of these Freedom Caucus members um, accused of very serious crimes, um, Matt Gates included. We see um, folks like Lauren Boebert um, just spouting off with some pretty dangerous and, and violent rhetoric who, you know, I believe participated actively in the January 6th insurrection at our Capitol. And we wake up today and we see what's happening um, in Brazil um, with a similar mindset, right? The the president of Brazil previously was very, very similar to the the policies and, and practices that a Donald Trump and, and his folks uh, pursued on January 6th, two years ago. So um, we, we witnessed metal detectors being dismantled, magnetometers being taken out of uh, the Capitol, which was um, really, really jarring to see as we're walking in with these new members that are hoping to be sworn in and really looking at the calendar coming up, seeing January 6th there and, and having having these protective measures being removed. It was it was a scary moment for me, and I know it was for your family as well, Santita, I'm sure, um, having your brother Jonathan sworn in under the same circumstances. And so, you know, my, my hope is, as we saw Democrats, they committed to their leadership, to their values. They voted over and over again uh, for leader Hakeem Jeffries, who had an amazing speech in the House. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, he literally schools the GOP A through Z, shows this contrast in a way that is clear, concise. And, um, you know, with his leadership, I, I think we can move the needle on some of these these pieces of the Venn diagram where we can find agreement. It may not be with these 20 Republicans that um, held up this vote and tried to negotiate their own personal gain over our country and even their own party. 
they, um, I believe, displayed that they care about themselves, their own power. And while um, they were able to negotiate good deals for themselves, ultimately, uh, it looks like it will be um, a short, short-term thinking gain versus the long-term gain for for their party, for the American people, and uh, certainly for the power of the institution of the House of Representatives. Right when when any of these branches of government, and we see the dilution of um, power and consistency with our Supreme Court. The the reputation of our, our, our Congress is, is at an all-time low anyway. Dysfunction like this, when um, that is manufactured, does not does not do anything to encourage the American people's faith in that institution. And the more uh, Kevin McCarthy um, governs in chaos, the more that um, that continues to dissipate. So I hope and I, I know the, the Democrats will remain strong and steadfast, but um, we really have to, to look to the states, as many of your we talked about this weekend, Santita, to move on things like voting rights, women's health, and shore up those those gains that we were able to make in important states like Michigan, for example. Um, but also um, look to our Senate and see where we can um, kind of solidify some of those those values, because we we are in a divided government. And we, we saw on full display what Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans have as their priority, which is uh, creating more chaos and then, um, you know, taking a bunch of losses and then ordering champagne. So, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was it was interesting. But then, you know, we also have our own battles within our own Democratic caucus because, you know, I mean, you now have someone in power, and I love Hakeem Jeffries, but he has taken on the progressives. That doesn't make me feel great, but, you know, it just, it's all part, it's, a, it's part of the horse trading of politics. Dwight McKee, what do you see? Well, I think it was a brilliant move on Trump's part. I think what Trump Ooh. did was create a crisis that he then solved. And I think it was him all the time who took his little constituency made them play hardball, so they made sure that they got the right um, seats and the right positions that they were looking for, so that when the strategy comes to forestall any progress that the Democrats may make, they got their proper position for that. And I think it was a brilliant strategy on his part, on their part, because now they have, you know, the five harshest, most right-wing guys really running the farm. And uh, everybody's going to, almost everybody's going to be subjected to uh, to their positions. And so what they're going to make sure they were positioned to do is they become, I, I see the House becoming the FBI, the new FBI. And they're going to have hearing after hearing after hearing and taint any positions that the Democrats may have. And everybody from Biden's son to Hillary is going to be put on trial. And by the time they finish, you know, with the conspiracy theories and the tainting reputations, you're going to find not just a dysfunctional uh Congress, you're going to find a distrusted Congress, and it's going to create much more of a 
uh, a crisis, e- eventual crisis, so that even these conspiracies now become more and more real because you look, you try to substantiate them. I told you about three weeks ago to look at Brazil and what was going to happen in Brazil. It uh, Trump has that same situation going for himself. Is the fear is that if he gets arrested, there's going to be the same kind of uprising. And I would not be surprised if he and the president of Brazil has conspired, the ex-president of Brazil has conspired to use the same strategy to make sure that they have their constituency is positioned to lock up the government. To what end? Who benefits from this? The people? Uh, the corporatocracy? What's... What is the point? Because it's you know the the, the corporations have always wanted a weakened federal government, Dwight and Aaron, um, and it gives them a greater opportunity, it gives them more space to run things. I mean, is that who's really behind all of this, Dwight? Well, they are the government. You know, I told you between who votes and who rules is they, they are the government, and the role of the people is to do. The bidding and the pleasure of these major corporations. The United States is a business. It was a colony first. A colony is an institution that is set up by corporations. They send workers over to work for corporations. That's the fundamental basis of the country. It was founded by the Dutch Indian Company and then Dutch East Indian Tea Companies and the people who came over here came over as workers first, and 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 then they fought for their freedom. But when they jumped the tea in the ocean, it was tea that they were forced to not just grow, but to then pay tax on what they grew. It's always been set up that way, and so yes, they stand to benefit. And they have international long-range plans. They they don't play uh, the same game that we play, which is local politics. Whereas, you know, we want to make sure that the house know it's paid and the food is bought and the gas is in the car. They play long-range international politics, where their goal is to make sure that they have control of resources in different countries over long periods of time. And for that, you need an effective military. For that, you need you need to be able to control the budget. If you are a car maker and you're making electric cars and you have to have batteries, you need those batteries for 40, 50 years. And if that energy source is only growing in two or three countries, you need control of those countries. If you're trying, if you need rubber for your automobiles, then you need to control parts of Africa where the only parts that they have rubber trees. They think long-range global and, and control, and they need the government and the military to secure those things. So, yes, they benefit by being in control very much. Hmm. Call us at 773 773- 
763-9278. What are your thoughts? We're going to have Congressman Jonathan Jackson on uh, at the bottom of the hour to give us his observations, help us to see if if there's any uh, opportunity to work across the aisle. Um, is that possible? I think it is. Um, but you it, it will take work. It will take work. Um, Aaron, what do you think should be... Mm. How will Speaker McCarthy govern when one person, if these rules go through, and it looks like they will, if one person can call for his ouster, what do you think that will do to his politics? First you, Aaron, and then you, Dwight. A minute for you and a minute for you, Dwight. Well, I, I think it almost gives him him cover in a way to be to be who he is which he's shown to be ambitious for his own power and sacrificed his whatever values um, he had proclaimed to have. Um, he sacrificed them and amended them over and over again. And we know that, you know, politics is a, is a, is a game. It can be a, a, a dirty business. But Kevin McCarthy has consistently um, maneuvered himself and moved in his political circles to show that he he doesn't stand for a whole lot. So this, this makes him even more vulnerable to, to those types of um, manipulations, I would say, by, by a, a very vocal um, minority within his own party. But it, it also puts him in a position where he's going to be forced to compromise probably more, more than he's comfortable with. But as long as he is able to hold on to that office, that speaker's office that we saw him touring around uh, over the weekend that he had already moved into before the vote took place, um, I think that's really all that matters to him. And we've seen him um, apologize for insurrectionists. We will see that on full display, as, as Dwight McKee expertly <laughs> explained, that um, not only will they um, give those insurrectionists a free pass, but will likely create uh, scenarios where, um, you know, Congress is um, investigating all kinds of conspiracy theories and will elevate that type of rhetoric um, to the people's house. So as long as he's able to remain in power, he will bow to President, former President Donald Trump, to his supporters, and who knows, to whatever other influences um, he believes uh, has the power to keep him in power. And um, I believe he's proved that time and time again, and this will only uh, spotlight those tendencies. And it's it's going to be an mm-hmm. unfortunate situation for the House of Representatives, who has real really, really important work to do beyond these um, manufactured conspiracy theory investigations that seem to be uh, the priority of the Dwight McKee? Uh, small minority. There's no no question. Uh, Dwight McKee, I've got about a minute. Well, he didn't do, the, the that five didn't do anything to McCarthy that that uh, mentioned in the, to the Democrats is that these corporatists always have a stalking horse land in the cut, who's going to uh, neutralize the process. And mm-hmm. so what Manchin was doing for the oil industry and for the gas industry as a stalking horse is no different than these guys are set, set Tim McCarthy up to be able to 
to pull off. And and to, it's all a strategy and a conspiracy to me. It's, it's the same strategy is that you act like you're trying to get things done, but you always have two or three uh, stalking horses in the cut who um, frustrates the process, who you can blame. And so either on either side of the aisle, nothing really gets done. Because, you know, that is the strategy. Is the, 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 the act is if something needs to get done, but somehow it never gets done because you have these one or two mavericks who's sabotaging the process. <laughs> Except corporations continue to get their due. I think we've got to look at, you know, we keep talking about saving the democracy, but the corporatocracy is what is at work here. It was indeed Senator Dick Durbin who said, as we were looking at the crisis of 2008, when the banks demanded trillions from us, and they did get trillions from the American people, he said, let's be clear, banks run this place. He was speaking of our government. We need to think about that, everybody. We need to know the deal. Let's talk with Congressman Jonathan Jackson, finally. And I know I'm going to get Congresswoman Ramirez on. Can't wait. It was so wonderful to see her. Oh, my gosh. So glad that they've been finally sworn in. But what's next? What's next? Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. Call Congressman Jackson at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. 9278 more of the Santita Jackson show on WCPT 820 and AM 950 radio everybody January 26th don't forget it we have got our mayoral debate it is going to be something special here on WCPT all of the candidates the top candidates will be there then we want you to be there too back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a minute This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, and Santita Jackson and friends on Facebook. Please become my friend over there. So honored to, uh, as we uh, have uh, Dwight McKee, Dr. D, brilliant social scientist and brilliant political organizer and lawyer, uh, attorney Aaron Connolly, we welcome to the show newly minted congressman from the 1st Congressional District of Illinois, Jonathan Jackson. Yay! Congratulations, congressman, and welcome back to the show, this time as congressman and not as candidate. It's wonderful to hear your voice today. Honored to be on here and love you so much and love the WCPT family. So thank you for having me. Oh, I love you so much. I love you, love you, love you with all my heart. Of course, everyone, for those for the uninitiated, this is my baby brother. So <laughs> there we have it. But having said that, he is also Congressman Jackson. And I want to know last week was quite the week. Fifteen rounds of voting finally gave us. <laughs> Um, a Speaker of the House. We haven't seen this since this kind of, well, um, we, have, we haven't seen this since 1923, just before we went into the Great Depression and the Civil War, before we went into the Great War. 
Uh, what happened last week, and what do you think will come out of it, Congressman? Well, what was at stake was the leadership of the Republican Party, and this has to do with succession, the orthodoxy of the institution on who is second in succession to the presidency of the United States of America. So if there were no president, vice president, and speaker of the House, this is the people's house. The only way you can get to the House of Representatives is by election. You can be appointed to a state senator. You can be appointed to the presidency if something happens, but you can only be voted in by the people. And so it's very important that this institution remains. And what you saw was a lot of consternation, a lot of infighting, and um, a two-headed, if you will, sort of, um, being evolved, where there is a uh, freedom caucus, a very conservative, cut government, don't want to govern uh, wing of the party. This is the same wing that Speaker Boehner said he couldn't deal with, and so he turned it over to Ryan uh, almost a decade and a half ago to become Speaker of the House. We've had 15 years of plus of Mrs. Pelosi and uh, Steny Hoyer and um, Representative Clyburn at the helm, and they've done remarkable things on passing legislation that have been good for people. Now there's no backdoor channels. The lack of civility in this institution right now is what blows my mind. You would think that they were talking to Democrats, there were some back-channel conversations. No, they are strictly talking within the caucus, and frankly, I think Speaker McCarthy has given up a lot so there are some new rules that are in place with their hairline triggers on they can question his speakership at any given time and start this process all over again. That was a major concession. So he is extremely weakened and is going and is ice skating on some thin ice with 70 degree weather ahead. Oof. So, I mean, but, so what does this mean if, if one person can call for his ouster? You mean we would have to go through this process more, once more? Absolutely. It's it's on the verge. And so we were able to have 15 vote calls 15 times. Mr. Uh, speak, our nominee for Speaker of the House, the Honorable Hakeem Jeffries, was held the wall 212 times, uh, 212 votes, 15 times. And so I was in all of the moment. My first 15 votes have been for an African-American but more importantly, the most qualified person to be the Speaker of the House, and 215 times, and he received all 212 votes. That is phenomenal. That there was no break in the wall. Um, and then, of course, you can change the rules. If one person doesn't vote, the denominator changes, and so it doesn't have to be 218. That's what all the back and forth was going on. That's why Speaker McCarthy came over to talk with uh, Congressman Gates to try to get him to uh, vote for him or to reduce the denominator, which he ultimately did. And so the temperature is hot. And keep in mind, that took place when you almost saw an altercation on the floor two years later on January 6th. I see the media has been very keen not to bring that in, but it's two years. There's a harmony and a symmetry in the same tension. It's not gone away. And so this is our first time being back in session after COVID uh, protocols have been removed, and it almost flared up. So... Get your seatbelt on, get some popcorn, and more importantly, 
register people to vote. The Democrats still should have the House. We did not vote our numbers. Um, we just have to overwhelm the polls and we'll be able to have the majority vote and the House in the next cycle. Mm, I mean, is there any hope to, to your way of thinking, Doug, to work across the aisle? I see that you literally sit on the aisle. I said, I have to ask Congressman Jackson about it. Let me ask my brother about this, because I know he walked in there thinking. Why are you sitting on the aisle? Listen, you may see me sitting in the middle of the Republican section. Uh, There's no designated seats in there. It's just become a part of tradition. Democrats over here, Republicans over there. Um, I feel as if I've been empowered and trusted with the vote of my constituents in the first district to meet others that don't even know how bad we're suffering over here on the south side, in the south suburbs, and in the rural area. My obligation is to get things done with whomever, however, that upholds our principles and maintains our integrity. And so if you don't talk with people, you can't get to know them, you can't encourage them, you can't influence them. So I'm very intentional about walking the floor. One of the great things that happened, ironically, that day, that week of being on there, is that only members can be on the floor. So there was a lot of dead time, downtown, downtime, if you can imagine. I went over and started introducing myself to people. I introduced myself to Donald's, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Bobard, Gates, Bouchard's, and um in southwest Indiana to Scalise, McCarthy. I mean, I was very intentional upon, I want to get to know you. I want you to know my district. I want to know how we can work together. I've been in very close contact with with Speaker Hakeem Jeffries' office, so I'm very deliberate, very intentional. I talk daily with um, Congressman Clyborne and Mrs. Maxine Waters, so I'm not doing it on my own, and I'm sharing with them that I'm out to meet people, and they encourage me to do so. Hmm. I mean, have you has it been have they been hostile interactions as you introduce yourself to these persons, to Marjorie Taylor Greene, to Matt Gates? I would say no. You know, that um, they wouldn't know me from anyone else. And they appreciate someone taking the initiative. You know, once you run for office. Once you run, we've all been through something, all 435 people that have been there. You know, we've all extended our hand to greet someone, and uh, they've not been willing to shake their hand back. We've all felt embarrassed. We've all had a headline news. And so, you know, we've all been through the same thing. And so you respect people that have gotten there, however they've gotten there. And, uh, well, most people you respect on how they've gotten there. And so... Uh, taking the initiative to say hello, it gets hard, but it's part of the job. And so you know when someone comes over to uh, to meet you, you say, oh, wow, thank you. Okay, you're still trying. I get it. And so they were appreciative. Now, they may not agree with what I have to say. It was only a hello. It wasn't an ask for anything. It wasn't let's do something. <clears throat> so it was very cordial. And everybody there has to have some sort of personality that works in their district it's uh, America's a vast place. This isn't like the size of London or Italy or Germany. There are so many parts of America where other congressional people have never been, have never heard about, don't even know exist. And so I don't take that for granted that 
people were sheriffs before they became congressional people. Uh, one of my colleagues, her and her husband, operate a mechanic shop. Uh, another colleague was a chemical um, engineer, PhD. Some people were in some very specific um, occupations in a very local area and haven't even traveled the country. They don't know. So we have to keep introducing ourselves and keep sharing our stories. And you find out how actually marvelous and wonderful some of these people are and how extraordinary they are. So I'm in awe of so many people. I'm like, wow, that's what you were doing before you came here this year? Mm. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me, uh, well, you know, let me go to Renee. Renee has called in. Renee from Chicago. What's on your mind, Renee? Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, and congratulations to Congressman Jackson on being uh, sworn in as representative of the people. And happy birthday, happy belated birthday. And, you know, I, I just want to say, <laughs> say something about Speaker McCarthy. I think he has a remarkable story. He's from a small town, Bakersfield, California. He is the grandson of immigrants, and yet he's second in line to be president of the United States, the grandson of immigrants. Yet he wants to build a border wall to keep those other type of immigrants out. I hope he comes and sees the light that America should be an opportunity for everybody who wants to come in. And once again, Congressman Jackson, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you as Speaker of the House and even President of the United States of America. Have a great day. Thank you, Renee. (laughs) Thank you so much, Renee. I want to service the 1st District. That's my goal. And um, we'll talk more about the border. And I do understand both sides. We have to have humanity, have to uh, have a pathway for people to come in. We also have to have laws and rules by which we all have to abide. And I do want to see humanitarian aid assistance get to those people. I've been down to the border several times. It's something that I do care about. I want to be equally applied, um, if they come from Ukraine, Afghanistan, or Haiti, or South and Central America. And we also have to have some standard of what is our process and have people just cutting the line because there are people that have waited and are doing things right. But I do want to address the humanitarian crisis first. Mm. Dwight McKee, very quickly, why why don't you respond to what you've heard from Congressman Jackson? Well, I think Johnny's playing it very well. I think that he, like Adam Clayton Powell, understands that politics is all the border in negotiation and relationships. And you have to build relationships even before you look at the policies that people are dealing with. I think that once you build relationships, you can persuade people based on policy. And if his goal is to service the people of, of his district, it means that he's put his ego to the side and say he's going to do whatever it takes that is both noble and legitimate to be able to barter goods and services in their behalf. Uh, So I applaud him. I think it's a very wise strategy. And he looked very statesman-like 
standing on the sidelines, not reacting to what he was looking at. Uh, so I applaud him. I've been knowing him all of his life, and he's always been a very intellectual guy. But there's also a practicality to to him that I've always appreciated. And so I, I see nothing but great things coming out of his, uh, his ascension. End of that. Aaron Connolly, before I go to the other callers. Well, I think what I'm most excited about is to see these coalition builders come into Congress mm-hmm. that have had to do um, hard work in the states, in their local communities, and that also have organizing backgrounds. When we look at two of my favorites, Congressman Jackson and Congressman Ramirez out of Illinois, we, we've seen them bring people together that do not normally agree to navigate um, big policy differences, to use um, the, the pieces of agreement that they see at a, at a larger level from a, from a long game perspective, understanding that we are more alike than we are different, and treating people with a fundamental respect as your um, your brother, Congressman Jackson, just, just spoke about, that there is a relationship-building aspect to this that is that is so crucial. And oftentimes, um, you know, we, we see that um, come along partisan lines. And when we see people of faith in our government that have that core value, that understand that our humanity is the most important, I think there is so much more opportunity for those relationships to maybe not become best friendships, but they can be working relationships that find that common ground, even when there are massive differences in many other areas, right? And I, mm-hmm. I think we see a new a new generation of congressional representatives coming in that have a proven track record, not just the intention, right? And that's important. You, this this takes work, and I think, you know, um, I'm a little bit partial. I think uh, when you cut your teeth in Chicago, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different level of um, different level of experience, and I'm looking forward to see our Illinois delegation be strengthened by that deep, deep experience and track record of success. What have you learned in, you know, in this... This, what are some of the life lessons that you're bringing to Congress, Congressman Jackson? I mean, you've been the national spokesman for Rainbow Push. Uh, you have an MBA from Northwestern. You've been an activist. You had not planned to run for this office. People basically drafted you to run for this office. You have been arrested. You've had to interact with the police. You've had to confront them and as you support them. You've had a vast array of life experiences. What are you bringing to the table that um, that can help you win your way through Congress? Well, <laughs> so many life experiences. The um, You know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can dislike someone's idea without disliking them as a person that always affirm someone's humanity and believe that, you know, there may be an information or a knowledge or perspective difference that you don't have to demonize them. Don't take things to 10. You know, you turn a six upside down. It looks like a nine. Like, how are you looking at the problem from bottom down, top up, 
from the side, like, where does this begin? So problem solving is always top of mind for me and education and personal experiences and from business, like, where's the demand? Where's the need? How do we get there? I had a great talk with a congressman from Southwest um, Indiana, uh, Bushar, um, medical doctor, looks like a family farmer, nice guy. And on the outside, it wouldn't seem like I have much in common with him. But I introduced myself to him and told him where I was from. He shared with me the district he's from. He's on the Illinois, Kentucky, southwest part of Indiana. And uh, he tells me he's a medical doctor. I said, I'd like to get to know you better. He says, let me tell you, prostate cancer is a big issue for me. And you know how it affects the African-American community. I said, it was music to my ears to hear this. Uh, older white gentleman, medical doctor from Southwest Indiana, tell me about prostate cancer and what it's doing to the black community. Something that I care a lot about because six out of 10 persons that are being diagnosed with it are African American males, where it's, you know, three out of 10 for Caucasian males. And uh, he said, I like your help on it. I said, let's start working on that today. That happened on the floor at about one o'clock in the morning. Saturday morning uh, while they were transitioning power. So he cares about the South Side and prostate cancer, what's happening. And it's just, that's one of many examples of people that I'm reaching out to that otherwise would say, wow, what do they have in common? Well, we got a lot in common as soon as we started talking. The most surprising thing about the atmosphere in the Congress right now, and I hope we can turn that around quickly because people are in need. Uh, where we are in healthcare is absolutely a disaster. Uh, we have health insurance, but not health care. We do not have enough doctors to see people in America right now. And the pipeline is dwindling. We don't have enough nurses um, to care for people right now. They're being, they're being overburdened and have too much liability. They're leaving the profession because everything can have them sued. And so we've got to get to the people, not these personalities. So um, there's so many things that I've experienced that, um, I'm excited about, and I would tell you from my mother and father, having the courage to be a peace, to seek peace, that you have to initiate peace, not wait for it, and not be on the sideline. That's one of the salient characteristics I want to bring. So if it's, you have to risk for peace, I'm willing to take the risk. Amen to, to make that. It happen. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, this war in Ukraine will not inevitably go away. You need peace seekers, people that are going to fight for peace, not just wait till the bullets run out and the bombs stop dropping and the blood and the and the body count lines up. No, that's not how that's going to happen. We should be full-time talking with everybody on both sides trying to resolve this. Well, how do you fight for peace when, you know, people question your motives. They say that you're supporting Putin if you say that you want peace. And even Zelensky said, we're not going to shoot our way out of this war. We have to negotiate our way out of this war. What's the path forward? People say well, you're a Republican you sympathizer if you say, let's, let's defund it. I mean, what do we do? We cannot be a, first of all, you have to, we have to stop putting labels on people. I said, I'm going to talk to the new Dems, probably join that caucus. And they're like, oh, but you're a progressive. You're in the Black Caucus. That's ideologically different. I'm not into the ideology. I just know that they are pro-business. I'm pro-business. 
you have to help the employer and help in order to help the employee. I mean, I've been on both sides of this. I've got grocery stores closing in my neighborhoods. I've got hospitalization that's on life support here. You have to talk business to help the employee and the people ultimately. So, no, don't put a label on somebody and make it a precondition on conversation. No. So I reject labels. I like to deal with human beings one at a time and get to know them. And you may find there's a nuance and there's something in them where you can make a common touch and a common ground, a commonality so you can go forward. So I'm very excited about that. And, no, you have you can't have a precondition on talking to people. I reject that. Well, amen to that. I've got one minute left. Is there anything you want us to know, Congressman Jonathan Jackson? We've got so many more hours and time to talk and things to do. So, no, Santita, I'd love to hear from your other guests. And thank you for letting me be a part and let this be the first of many. I want to give you updates uh, as frequently as I can to share with you and to bring people in. I want to invite young people out. I want to go visit the senior facilities and talk to people. Uh, some of our problems we can fix top down. Others we have to fix bottom up. And But most importantly, we have to get to know each other and start moving together. So I'm committed to that. And thank you for this opportunity to serve in this seat. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I just, I can't tell it all. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I adore my family. And my brother Jonathan and I are have always been very, very, very close. At the tough, during the toughest times of my life, if you see our family photos, he's literally, Aaron and, and Dwight, he's literally on my shoulder uh, with, his, with his hand on my shoulder. And I feel his love and support every single day. And I'm so glad that the 1st Congressional District has such a man uh, representing them, someone who is willing to step outside the lines and do everything he can in a principled way to ensure that, uh, that, they, that they prosper. Uh, really, 20 seconds for you, Aaron, and then 20 seconds for you, Dwight. Aaron, real quick, real quick, we're on the clock. Well, I am sending my deep prayers to all of those who are serving this great country of ours and approaching it in the way that Congressman Jackson just beautifully uh, led all of us. And I hope we can all take a little bit of that into our own lives today. Um, yes. It's been uh, a big week for our whole world. So let's let's start with peace. Let's start there. Amen to that. It's ten, let peace on be, let let there be peace on earth. Let it begin with me, Dwight. Twenty seconds. And let's not forget Jonathan's other two most important uh, experience. He was a Boy Scout under the auspice of Major Walker and Steve. Oh yes. That, yes. That's what formed his character. He was a great Boy Scout. 